This week on Blue 58, the Packers are making cuts, winning games, and getting ready for Atlanta. Is there any difference between this year's Packers and Falcons game and what we saw in the NFC Championship? There is, but you're going to have to listen to the show to hear it. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. We've got a jam-packed show for you today, including a return appearance by one Gary Zillaby. Gary, how are we doing? It's a great day to be great, John. It's a great day to have you back on the podcast. Let's say we get started with some headlines, of which there are quite a few. Let's start with the big ones. Uh, we'll get to the Seattle game in just a second. But first and foremost, we have to address a couple releases by the Packers. They have cut, reportedly, Ricky Jean-Francois, who signed with the Packers in March, and officially Ladarius Gunter, who joined the Packers as an undrafted free agent prior to the 2015 season. Gunter's release is officially to make room for Geronimo Allison, who missed week one uh, due to a suspension. Uh, Now Gunter is gone, making room for Allison, and Jean-Francois supposedly out the door. We don't have a corresponding roster move to go at that one just yet, but I suspect probably about this time this podcast gets posted, we'll have some sort of idea as to what the Packers are thinking with that one. Before we get to all the implications which one do you think, or which one of these releases is the most surprising to you? John, it's it's Ricky Jean-Francois for me. Uh, and it's that way because uh, of his status as a, as a free agent acquisition this offseason. Ladarius Gunter, I can understand. Back in April when we did our previewing the draft series, Ladarius Gunter falls outside of what the Packers look for from their cornerbacks. Uh, Guys like Lindsey Pipkins and Josh Hawkins, the two inactive cornerbacks on the roster, uh, tend to fit more of what Green Bay is looking for. John, you made a good point before we started recording that Gunter probably is what he is at this point, and I think you've got a little bit more left in Hawkins and Pipkins developmentally-wise. But Ricky John-Francois... It you know do you wonder is is Quentin Dial just a cheaper younger better version of him? Do the Packers have something else up their sleeve? Uh, John, what's one what's more surprising to you? Well, I'm with you. I think the Ricky Jean Francois release is much more surprising. Like you said, Gunter was always going to be limited by his athleticism, and I think, like you pointed out, that I'd said. He, he's pretty much the player that he is going to be at this point. So the question is, what, what else do the Packers have up their sleeve? Well, they need to get to, to sign another player to get to 53. Now, is this going to be a situation where the Packers sit at 53 men for a week, like we've seen Ted Thompson do in the past for whatever reason? Not sure. The Packers did work out a couple linebackers today, but there's there's been no indication as to whether or not they're they're going to sign any of them. As to what they have up their sleeve on the defensive line, of course, Quentin Dial is going to be part of that equation, but don't forget about Montrevious Adams either. He could be closer to a return than maybe we've thought in the past, and maybe that's, that's one reason the Packers felt comfortable moving on from him. The question I have about Ricky Jean-Francois is, is why now? Like, if you, if you were so certain about Quentin Dial that you would bring him in even after the 53-man cutdown or, or towards the end of training camp or... Uh, you had enough confidence to not put Montrevious Adams on injured reserve. Why wait so long to release Ricky Jean-Francois, especially considering 
now part of his salary is guaranteed due to him being a vet, vested veteran. I don't have an answer to that, and I don't know if you do either. It's just just odd to me. Two words for you, John. Dayton Jones. <laughs> you, you've been a Dayton Jones truther ever since uh, the, the stuff started coming out that he might get released by the Vikings, and he now has been. Yes, two days ago he was released by the Vikings. Now he did suffer a shoulder injury that uh, landed him on injured reserve. So, uh, you know, we don't know quite where his injury is at or if he's in football shape. But um, if if the Packers worked out some linebackers, then, you know, they're thinking about pass rush. And Dayton Jones was certainly a part of that last year and can play some defensive line. So uh, it's all speculation. It'll probably be foolish in a, in a day or two when the real news comes out. But that's what I think right now. Well, we do know some news is coming because the Packers will have to fill that roster spot eventually, so stay tuned on that. Let's take a step back and look at this past Sunday's win over the Seattle Seahawks, a a very satisfying win, a good win for the Packers, great way to start the season. I I guess the best possible way you can start the season, 1-0. I took a look on the blog this week at three drives that won the game for the Packers. Um, specifically the last three drives of the game. And I can talk a little bit more in depth about that in a second. One drive in particular that jumps out to me. But Gary, before I get to that, which part of the game jumped out to you the most? John, for me, it was how well the Packers set the edge and contained Russell Wilson in the pocket. So if you think back to the first three games against Russell Wilson with Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks in CenturyLink Field, and even bring back some memories of the Colin Kaepernick, John uh, Jim Harbaugh 49ers days, the Packers really struggled with those read option plays. They struggled containing the quarterback in the pocket and keeping Wilson from scrambling. Sure, Wilson did have a couple of nice runs, including a 29-yard run in the second quarter that set up the Seattle field goal just before halftime. However, the Packers defense, in my opinion, showed a night and day improvement of keeping Wilson secured in that pocket and forcing him to make throws to beat the Packers. Ultimately, he couldn't do it last year, throwing five interceptions, and he couldn't do it again this year. So what jumped out to me was was even with knowing how the Packers were going to try to stop Russell Wilson, in Seattle having all that information from five previous matchups, Packers were still able to get it done. Yeah, that's a really good point. In fact, uh, as I was doing some film review for one of our our new advanced stats, more on that in a second, earlier this week, I noticed that uh, the the fa- the Falcons, the, I'm already thinking about next week, I'm, I'm in Bill Belichick mode. We're on to Atlanta. We're on um, to Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, just looking at how Seattle operated early in that game, they ran on their first couple drive three or four read option type plays. I don't know if there was any plan or option for Wilson to keep the ball, but they at least had it out there and were giving the Packers a look with it. Each of those plays went absolutely nowhere. And I I think that was great to see from the Packers defense. Uh, In these three drives that I looked at, the one that jumped out to me was was the touchdown drive. It was the Packers third to last drive of the game. It started with 420 remaining in the third quarter. I described it in the post on the blog as basically everything that we hope the 2017 Packers offense is going to be. They started with their with their two new tight ends on the field. They had two tight ends, two receivers, and Ty Montgomery motioning out of the backfield to line up as a receiver. You had Ty Montgomery catching a pass as a receiver. You had Aaron Rodgers scrambling for a first down when nothing was open. And then it culminated with Rodgers catching the, the Seahawks with 12 men on the field. 
and throwing a touchdown strike to Jordy Nelson. I thought that was pretty fascinating. You should check out the entire thing on the blog. I think it's worth a read. Finally, as we move to our third headline, let's take a look at at some stats. The Packers have a bunch of guys that are closing in on some fun statistical milestones this year. For example, Aaron Rodgers now just two touchdown passes away from 300 for his career. He could also pass Johnny Unitas and Joe Montana in career passing yards this year, among others. Jordy Nelson could finish the season top three in Packers history in both yards and touchdowns. And Clay Matthews, if he gets two and a half more sacks, will be tops all time in Packers history in that category. Uh, Which stat of those, Gary, is the most interesting to you? For me, it's Clay Matthews being just two and a half sacks away from the all-time lead in Packers history. I say that because though Green Bay didn't have the prime of Reggie White or uh, you know other prestigious pass rushers, it's still a big deal to be the top um, you know before the age of 32 uh, all-time statistically for Clay Matthews. I think he's got um, a good shot at getting two and a half here pretty quick. Certainly looks like he was a, a, a fingertip away from a few, though that has, has been his M.O. over the past year. Certainly uh, excited to see Clay pass that threshold. Yeah, that would be pretty exciting to see. And uh, it, it, takes you, it takes you back a ways because uh, currently the top guy in Packers history is Kabir Baja Biomila. And it goes to show you how long it's been since the Packers have had a truly dominant pass rusher. It's been Reggie White to KGB to Clay Matthews. Really nobody else in that span. John, uh, so Aaron Campman. I mean, for like two seasons, Gary. Oh, but the Iowa boy himself, the legend, the myth, the man. One of those, or at least two of those descriptions are true. Of legend Aaron Campman. and man. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I think it would be cool to see Clay Matthews get to that top spot as well. And I think it's fun to see Aaron Rodgers jump over some of these big names from history because he's getting to the point where he doesn't really have that many people ahead of him. So the people that he passes are more important than where he ranks on the all-time list. We're going to dive into our preview of Packers Falcons here in just a second. But before we do that, I want to make you aware of a couple new things we have going on at thepowersweep.com. First and foremost, uh, you should check out our new advanced stats database. We've got a page on the site for the three advanced stats, semi-advanced stats we are tracking this year. Uh, you can look at those at your own or in your own time uh, at your leisure and check out some of the past stats that we have available on that page. Second, and you may have noticed this last week in the blog post uh, for the podcast if you listen to Blue 58 uh, via thepowersweep.com, but we had a new uh, web player for the podcast last week, and that will be consistent going forward because we have a new hosting agreement with uh, the podcast hosting service Libsyn. Our agreement's very lucrative. Uh, we pay them and they host our podcast for us. That's pretty much how that works. If you get the podcast via iTunes, nothing's going to change. You should be getting this on your phone right now as normal. Uh, if you subscribe to one of the other uh, podcast services, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever, we're working on that one right now. Um, it will be there shortly. It should be available there pretty soon. Um, if you are an RSS listener, check out the link at thepowersweep.com right now. It'll give you everything you need to know about getting your RSS feed updated. So 
two new things going on at the site and with the podcast, I guess, as well. Check those out. We'll be obviously using both of those throughout the entire 2017 season. And as always, we thank you very much for listening to Blue 58, reading the power sweep, and just supporting everything that we do uh, to bring Packers content to you. Blue 58! All right, Gary, for the third time in two seasons, the Packers are going to be playing the Atlanta Falcons on the road in Atlanta. The Packers have the unique privilege of opening up a new stadium for the second time in as many years as well. Uh, And this is something the Packers do quite a bit. But before, before we get to that part of our preview, Gary, you have a unique opportunity. You are actually going to be seeing this new stadium in person before the Green Bay Packers do. I sure will, John. I'm going to be there tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, for the Atlanta United soccer game. Get a chance to be on the field, see what uh, see what's going on there, where the Packers will be. It's a it's a rather interesting stadium. If you haven't seen it, uh, pictures of it or something, give it a Google. It's called Mercedes Benz Stadium. It's got a really interesting scoreboard. Uh, so if you think about Lambeau Field with the scoreboards on the north and south end zones. In Atlanta, their scoreboard is a circle, and it is uh, in the in the roof of the stadium. So uh, it's a complete circle scoreboard that goes around near the retractable roof that opens like a camera lens. Really interesting stuff. So excited to see what that looks like, and uh, we'll certainly post some observations of the stadium on the Power Suite before the game on Sunday night. So excited to be there. It's uh, another expensive stadium. Well, as we mentioned, this is hardly the first time the Packers have opened up a new stadium. Obviously, last year they opened up uh, that new Vikings monstrosity in downtown Minneapolis. But prior to that, we've got at least uh, at least a couple in the since the turn of the century. I didn't realize this was back-to-back years, Gary. In 2002, the Packers opened new Ford Field uh, playing the Lions. The Packers won 37-31 that day, despite a big comeback late, led by Joey Harrington. And then again, in 2003, the Packers opened new Soldier Field, which really isn't so much a renovation as just leaving one part of the facade of old Soldier Field up and then building a new stadium next to it. Uh, The Packers really took care of business there. Amon Green had 179 yards and two touchdowns. What was your first impression, if any, of those two new stadiums, Gary? They were fine. Yeah, that's about accurate. I've spent a lot of time around the new new version of Soldier Field, um, because that's where my wife lived around the time we were dating, near there, actually. So we, we walked past it fairly often. It's not a very nice-looking stadium, and I, I, I'd say that not to make fun of it. It's, it's more of a, a sadness, because it, it feels like if they'd done with Soldier Field kind of what the Packers did with Lambeau Field, updating it but keeping sort of that old-school look or old-school feel, it could have been really cool, but they didn't. They didn't get that feel aspect with with Soldier Field. It just looks like this old school sort of facade on the outside, but you can tell it's completely hollow. Anyway, yeah, beyond I'm, that, I'm not a big fan of either of those stadiums. I think Ford Field is is just okay, and Soldier Field. I I, I agree. I think they bungled that renovation, but I don't say that as a Packer fan. Um, I'm more of a of a stadium junkie, so um, I'm just not a not a huge fan of 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 any of those uh, but the vikings have a nice stadium it occurred to me what ford field looks like it looks like the kind of stadium that you get when you relocate a team in madden and they build a stadium for you like it just oh, looks kind so of generic true. like that 
That's what it Generic looks like. Generic stadium number one. Yeah. It looks like the auto stadium generator uh, put one together for you. Uh, let's run through a couple others here, Gary. And there are a couple notable ones on this list. These are not ones that the Packers opened, uh, but these are ones where the Packers played there during the inaugural season for that stadium. Uh, in 1992, they played in the Georgia Dome during its first year in activity. In 95, uh, they got to play at the illustrious uh, Jacksonville Municipal Stadium for uh, the first season of the Jacksonville Jaguars. In 2002, this one you wouldn't recognize due to the name, CMGI Field. The Packers played the New England Patriots there during its first year of operation, uh, now Gillette Stadium. In 2004, the Packers played at Lincoln Financial Field uh, as a part of the 2003 playoffs, although I'm not exactly sure what happened in that game. Um, During the 2010 season, they got to play at the New Meadowlands Stadium for the first time, uh, playing against the New York Jets. And then in that same season, um, in the Super Bowl that year, they got to play in Cowboys Stadium uh, during the first ever Super Bowl game. Uh, at uh, at Cowboy Stadium, uh, the giant monstrosity that is Jerry World. Uh, of those stadiums, Gary, other than Cowboy Stadium, anyone jump out at you that you remember uh, in, in your lifetime? <laughs> it, it's hard because I'm, I'm I'm ashamed to admit I'm a little little young, and these were were um, weren't on my mind thinking about the stadiums when I was growing up. But I do remember that trip to New Meadowlands Stadium or MetLife Stadium in in 2010 during the Super Bowl year. That was a heck of a game uh, just because of the defensive struggle. I remember that year there was a bit of a hubbub about Charles Woodson in, in later years being the defensive player of the year over Darrell Revis and Rex Ryan kind of having some, some, some disagreement with Charles Woodson's award. Uh, so it's nice to know that, um, that the Packers got the better end of, of the Jets uh, that game. Um, certainly excited to see the Packers opening up the Falcons' new stadium and and hopefully with a big W, though. So I'm going to give you one of my patented John's very specific weird memories about a stadium. Um, the, the Patriots Stadium, CMGI Field, I remember that game very vividly, and there's one play that specifically I remember from that game because of something that happened the week prior. The week prior, the Packers had played a primetime game in Champaign, Illinois, against the Chicago Bears because Soldier Field was being renovated and they played at the University of Illinois stadium for for that season just while those renovations were happening. And in that game, Joe Johnson uh, sacked the Chicago Bears quarterback. It was some variety of Miller at that point. Uh, he fumbled the ball and Kabir Baja Biamila picked it out of the air and ran it back for a touchdown, something like 74 yards or something like that. The next week when they played at the Patriots stadium for the first time, there was a pass that got thrown out into the flat that was incomplete, but it it went straight to the ground and it was actually a backwards pass. And for like five seconds, Kabir or KGB just stood next to the ball, not realizing it was live. And had he realized it was a live ball, he could have just picked it up and walked into the end zone for his second consecutive week with a touchdown. I don't know why I remember that so clearly, but it happened. And it, 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 it is why I remember the Patriots' new stadium. If you haven't, if for new listeners to Blue 58, 
you might not remember that John Meerdink is a savant and remembers everything about every Packer game. For all your future historical Packer needs, please contact the Power Sweep. Yeah, please do that. So let's let's get into this actual game, Gary. Uh, I thought we would break this down into two categories uh, in terms of talking about this game this Sunday. What is the same as the last time the Packers and Falcons played, and what's new? Uh, what's new should be pretty obvious. What's the same? Actually, fairly obvious too. But both of those two factors, how 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 they interact with each other, is going to affect a lot of how this game um, shapes shapes up. Uh, so what what I've got under the same here, and we'll go through this part fairly quickly. Uh, Matt Ryan still obviously the same for the Atlanta Falcons, still pretty good. Uh, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, the the two backs for the Atlanta Falcons, they're also still pretty good. Julio Jones, still very, very good for the Atlanta Falcons. On the Packers' side, Aaron Rodgers, still in place and still pretty good for the Green Bay Packers. My point with this, Gary, is this seems like it's going to be a big-time offensive shootout. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to be the, the sort of defensive slugfest that we saw this past Sunday. I think we're thinking more along the lines of a high-scoring offensive game. How does that grab you? It grabs me up pretty well, uh, though I'm. I think the defense is is a strength for Atlanta up front, and I think that we saw in Week One that the defense can do a good job shutting down an offense in Green Bay as well. Uh, I think that's true. So let's dive right into what's new for both sides because this is going to go a long way towards shaping the identity of of how those things that are the same interact with each other. On the Falcon side, three things that I think stick out to me, and one of them comes across a little bit more like a, a callous joke now that I've seen it written down for a couple minutes. But uh, Tack McKinley, uh, the Falcons' first-round pick, uh, a new pass rusher for a, a team that already had one of the league leaders in sacks in Vic Beasley last year. The Falcons also get back Desmond Trufant, their best cornerback, who is out for the NFC Championship game. And most importantly, the Falcons now without their best player, Ladarius Gunter. Is that mean-spirited, Gary? I kind of feel bad now that I've said it. It's pretty funny. Made me laugh. (laughs) So what do you think about those two things? Uh, We talked about McKinley a lot because he was somebody that was supposedly on the Packers' radar as they were shaping up to make their first-round pick. Uh, They ended up obviously passing on him. But uh, do you think he's worth being concerned about? I think the entire Atlanta defensive end of that front seven is worth being concerned about. I think Dan Quinn, the old Seattle Seahawks defensive coordinator, was a little ahead of schedule with this Falcons defense. It's interesting that a defensive coordinator head coach, the strength of that Falcons team last year was offense. You think about the other big name defensive head coaches in this league. They're not, you know, Mike Zimmer isn't running a high flying Vikings offense in Minnesota. Uh, you know, when Wade Phillips was the head coach of of the Dallas Cowboys, he wasn't necessarily, you know, while they had Tony Romo and Terrell Owens and the big names, they weren't really necessarily an offensive-focused team. I'm concerned, you know, just, just that Dan Quinn, he's got another year with those guys, another year in the system, and, and they've really added some assets. I think one of the interesting ones, John, when we were doing that predicting the draft, we had identified Wyoming running back Brian Hill as a potential target for the Packers in a middle round, he ended up going to Atlanta. So we'll get a chance to take a look at a guy that um, that we thought might have been a good fit with Green Bay too. 
So uh, I'm envious of, of Atlanta's draft this year. I thought they did a really nice job in the draft, and I think they've got some young players that can, can make a difference pretty quick. What's been interesting to me about the Falcons is how quickly they've identified what they wanted to accomplish on defense and then got guys, it seems, very fast who could do the things that they're trying to do on defense. Uh, so Keanu Neal, that sort of hybrid safety type, Attack McKinley, even Vic Beasley, a, a relatively recent acquisition. They're looking for speed and versatility on defense, and it seems like they've been able to get it really, really fast, and that is going to affect a lot about what the Packers do. On the Packers side, you have a lot of new things too. Uh, the Packers have a revamped secondary. They have a healthy Jordy Nelson and a healthy Devontae Adams, for that matter. Uh, they have Martellus Bennett, and the offensive line is healthy. If you'll remember from the NFC Championship game, the Packers' offensive line was so banged up that at the end of the game, the now dearly departed Latroy Guyon actually had to take a couple of snaps at guard because they were in such rough shape. Do you think the Packers have done enough to sort of draw even with the Falcons to the point that this could be anybody's game? I do, John. I As much as it, it pains me, uh, though the NFC Championship game, you know, think it back to it, though the NFC Championship game was not a great outcome, the Packers just got behind a freight train of momentum. There was that Aaron Ripkowski fumble early in the game. Mason Crosby missed that field goal. It just all went downhill really fast for Green Bay. I don't think the score indicates the difference in the, in the distance between these two teams. I think the Packers can absolutely hang with Atlanta in Sunday night's contest. I think that the additions Green Bay has made to their pass catchers, to their running back core, I think we saw a lot out of Ty Montgomery. He answered a lot of the questions that we had heading into this season. And though it was against a Seattle offensive line that doesn't isn't particularly known to be great, the Packers' defense played very well and showed some marked improvement from last year and from years previous. The Packers can absolutely hang in this game. Vegas sir, seems to think so, as the, as the Falcons are only opened up as two-and-a-half-point favorites. Normally you get three if you're a home team. So they, they certainly tend to think Green Bay is, is right there with Atlanta. Uh, I think they can absolutely hang with them. I think you have to look more at the sort of midseason game the Falcons and Packers played last year as opposed to um, – the NFC Championship game for a better gauge of how close these teams are. If you look at what really cost the Packers in that game, it, it was it was their pass defense. They could not slow the Falcons down at all. Matt Ryan was 28 of 35 for 288 yards and three touchdowns that day. Uh, he was even better than Aaron Rodgers, who was phenomenal that day. Um, if the, the Packers were just a little bit better in the secondary – I think they would have won that game fairly handily uh, if they would have been able to get it just one or two more stops. The, the Falcons would have been as many as 10 to 14 points down uh, than where they ended up in that game. I think the Packers are more than a little bit better in the secondary. Maybe not a lot better, but they've certainly taken multiple steps towards improving their secondary, and I think that will go a long way towards um, – making this a much more close, competitive game on Sunday. Are you prepared to make a prediction, or do you want to hold off until later this week? I'm prepared to say the Packers will win by at least seven touchdowns. 
at least seven touchdowns. Well, that is a bold prediction. I'll wait and hold off. I, I'm glad. I think you've you've done the, the the boldness part of this prediction for the both of us. So I'll wait in, until later in this week to give my full prediction. But I think I think there's a good chance the Packers can win this one. Hey Gary, while I've got you here, Aaron Rodgers threw an interception pretty early in Sunday's game. In fact, he threw his first interception of the season. Uh, before he threw his first touchdown of the season. That has happened before, but only two other times. The other two were in 2010, the year the Packers won the Super Bowl, and uh, the other in 2014, the year Rodgers won his second MVP award. I'd say there's still a pretty good chance uh, that uh, the Packers will have a pretty decent offense this season. What do you think? Yeah, I think they can They can score some points. I mean, the quarterback seems together. pretty good. Hey, Gary, I want to let the, let everybody know as we wrap this week's show up where they can find us online. You can always find us at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and Twitter uh, at the Power Sweep in both of those locations. Always feel free to reach out to us via email. Thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com is the best address to do so for that. Uh, we always love to hear from you. Our, your feedback helps us to make this entire operation better each and every day, and that's exactly what we want to do. Don't forget uh, to check out that new RSS feed for the podcast and uh, check out our new web player for the podcast as well, courtesy of our new podcast host, Libsyn. It's going to be awesome. Uh, for Gary Zillavi, our returning host this week, I am John Meerdink. We will see you next week on Blue 58.